Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, movie fan views, the podcast from the movie fans, for the movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined once again by my co-host, Rob Benham. Sans beard. Sans beard, Rob. Yes. I, uh, I, <laughs> I look like I'm 12. It's fantastic. <laughs> I can't relate to the sans beard thing. It's been a very long time for me. Uh, I think <laughs> I would be very uncomfortable to see you without a beard at this point. <laughs> Probably true. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is not a beard podcast, unfortunately. <sighs> uh, this is a movie podcast, and we have an excellent show for you in store. We're going to go over the box office. We are going to do uh, a segment called Movie Philosophizing, which we will cover more in detail when we get there. And of course, our watch list. All right, Rob, let's kick it off with the box office. Uh, so last week's box office results were interesting. Uh, we had two new movies that debuted uh, debut at the top of the box office. Uh, Uncharted, the uh, movie... Uh, the Treasure Hunt movie um, that came out uh, made $44 million. And Dog with Channing Tatum and, of course, a dog uh, made $14.9 in their in their debuts to take the first two slots in the box office. And uh, Spider-Man No Way Home is uh, still kicking in there at... Uh, 7.5 million, which um, the gross on that is $770 million. Wow. <laughs> that movie, it's been in the box office for 10 weeks and has made $770 million and still came in at number three. Uh, number four in its second week on the charts was Death on the Nile, which has made $25 million overall. And Jackass Forever at $5.2 million rounds out the top five. All right, so Tom Holland has two movies in the top three in the box office right now. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the on the results we're seeing from last week? Yeah, not too surprising. I think we had an idea Uncharted would do decently. Mm -hmm. Well, um, despite there being a lot of pushback slash confusion slash doubts from people in like the video game community about how they cast this movie because they did not cast this movie typical to how the characters actually look in the games yeah which is interesting <laughs> like tom holland looks like uh, nathan drake light uh if you look at some of the pictures of or have played any of the games and mark Wahlberg's character is played by like an like an older guy with white hair in the, <laughs> in the game so this is like very interesting how they kind of change things around i have not seen it yet i'm still planning on going to see it um i'm not surprised it did decently and spider-man just continues to impress it does it really does yeah i um yeah i'm not surprised uncharted was top um and uh death in the nile like i i kind of thought maybe it would make a little bit more money than it did over the last two weeks but it's it's not hasn't done poorly given the type of movie it is uh so that uh i'm slightly surprised by that but yeah yeah it's uh crazy results i i really want to see uncharted and death on the nile but 
right now with uh, having a one month old baby, it's been difficult to get to the movie theater. <laughs> so I'm hoping I'm hoping to get there soon. Uh, but I would like I wouldn't mind seeing both of those coming out. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's pretty much par for the course. Uh, Dog making 14.9 million, I think, is uh, is a very good number for that type of movie. And I think speaks to I want to say twofold. One, they've done a good job marketing the movie. Uh, you've seen a lot of trailers for it. It's done a good job marketing that. And it seems like a heartfelt movie that people would want to go see, which mm-hmm. is, you know, partly due to the marketing and partly due to, I think they actually made a movie that's kind of heartfelt and people want to see. And I, I also find this interesting too and in how well it's done because despite the fact that he might be like, um, a fan favorite of some people or an actor that some people like really enjoying things. Channing Tatum hasn't necessarily been like the guy. Yeah. Like to carry a movie, like even with the jump street movies, like Jonah Hill is equally as big a part mm-hmm. of those. Um, Hail Caesar. He was kind of more of a bit part in like, he's kind of been that in a lot of movies, like the, the thing I found interesting is, in most of those movies, he's, I think you can make an argument that he's like stolen the show or he's been hmm. one of the bright spots acting wise in the movies, which is interesting because given his background, how he started acting and everything, people might not necessarily think he's a great actor, but I think he's a pretty good actor. And so to see him um, kind of fronting a movie mm-hmm. and it doing well, maybe speaks to the fact that also people are, are, investing in him a little bit um which will probably only be good for his career going forward and i wouldn't mind seeing him have more opportunities honestly yeah it seems like he's been in a lot more stuff recently like he's had a bit of a resurgence and you're right he has not been asked to carry a movie that often in his career and uh with him definitely being the front man and playing with a dog because i mean obviously dogs are Everyone loves dogs and dogs are interesting and dogs are a bit of a draw. Uh, but you're not, he's going to play a lot of this movie just with him and the dog. So there's not a lot of other actors to bounce off of. Uh, so having a good performance there is, uh, is definitely something that would help. Anything else on the results? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, so let's move to what's opening this weekend. Uh, we have three main movies opening this weekend, which are kind of interesting. Uh, the first one is Cyrano, uh, starring Peter Dinklage. And that is, of course, the uh, adaption of um, Cyrano de Bergerac, the, the famous story uh, that's been done in plays and done numerous times. Uh, so that one is coming out. You have The Cursed. Uh, and this one stars uh, Kelly Riley, Boyd Holbrook, Alistair Petrie, not a whole lot of well-known names. And it's basically in a rural 19th century France, a mysterious, possibly supernatural menace threatens a small village. John McBride, a pathologist, comes to town to investigate the danger and exercise some of his own demons in the process. So we have uh, like a supernatural horror type movie. And then also interesting is you have Studio 666. 
which uh, stars Whitney Cummings and the Foo Fighters. Yes, yes. the Foo Fighters. So this uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, legendary rock band, the Foo Fighters, move into an Encino mansion steeped in grisly rock and roll history to record their much anticipated 10th album. So this is kind of a, uh, a movie slash documentary slash what is this? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. I mean, yeah. the Foo Fighters are actually a really interesting band and Dave Grohl is always an interesting guy. So this it's, it's really interesting to see what's going to come of this. Yeah, when I saw the first trailer for this, I kind of thought, is that real? Like, did that? <laughs> I really didn't see that. Is it like April 1st? Am I being punk? Where are you, Ashton? What's happening? It's um, one of those things that like feels like it comes out of someone's like stupid midnight idea. Hey, let's do yeah. a movie about this. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, so it's like an autobiographical documentary horror movie. Which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the Foo Fighters, so it's definitely going to be interesting. I'm, I, I will be seeing it. Uh, I've been looking forward to it for a little while. So, yeah, yeah, this is interesting because Dave Grohl's uh, Dave's Grohl's doing a lot of media here recently. He's got a he's got that book out, and he's got another I think another documentary along the same lines as the book that he just came out with. Um, we've got the Studio Six Six Six, so he's been around for uh, he's been a doing a lot of stuff here recently and yeah this looks like something that's uh very different and interesting um the only other thing i can think of that kind of compares is maybe some of and i don't know that he ever really did this like some rob zombie type stuff because mm. he's he's been big on the crossovers between like horror and rock and 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 movies his band actually started uh because they needed a band for a horror movie uh that he was doing so um that's the only other thing i can think that kind of comes close to this on this level yeah. this will be this will be very different because uh foo fighters are not rob zombie <laughs> yeah it looks like horror but like um humor also so yeah i'm intrigued yeah by what the combination is gonna do and mm -hmm. then throw in some rock and roll we'll see yeah <laughs> so hopefully the music's good i mean you would think it should be yeah yeah, so that's that's what we got going on. So, Rob, uh, which of those three is, uh, is is primary on your list? Is Studio Six Six Six? Yeah, Studio Six 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 is definitely top. But I also um, am interested by uh, Cyrano, mm -hmm. uh, the classic story of someone uh, speaking for someone else to try and get someone to fall for them. Uh, I mean, we've seen it told in different ways, mm -hmm. how many times? Yeah, but. Um, I, I think that Peter Dinklage is a pretty good actor too. She's talking mm -hmm. about actors and um, given his physical appearance, there have been not many opportunities for him to showcase that in a way because you're kind of almost typecast into being that comedic relief or um, that the, the freak part of the movie when I think that on his own merits, he's a pretty good actor. Yeah. And I think people who watch Game of Thrones would agree with that. Um, so it'll be cool to see him in this movie kind of with a more expanded role. 
Yeah, I think it has potential to it. I mean, it's obviously like you're saying, it's a classic story and, and there's, there's relatable aspects to the idea of like feeling like you don't have the right skills to win the person over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, man, if I just had this, it would work. And so, yeah, there's something to that. Uh, so yeah, I would go, I would go for me, Studio 666 is probably the most intriguing, um, but Cyrano looks good. And I really don't have interest in the cursed, but that's, you know, <laughs> my general apathy towards horror is probably more to do with that than anything else. All right. It is time for what I'm, I'm calling a new segment. We've done something like this on the podcast before, but this is going to be like an official segment that will recur every, every few weeks or so. And we're going to call this one movie philosophizing. So if I had a tweed jacket, I would put it on right now. Yeah. YouTube video. <laughs> pipe. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I would need to be sitting in some sort of a dark wood library uh, in, in a leather armchair behind a fireplace, you know, if we had those type of things, that's that would just feel that that setting. If you, if you would, where we need the post production crew that we have of thousands to yes, go ahead and yes. do that for us on the Zoom video. Yeah, go ahead and put that in the background, and and you know, kind of see how that goes. And <laughs> it's hard work running the podcast. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we don't have that, but basically what we'll do here in this segment is each of us will bring up a, a it could be an, a specific, an entire movie, a scene from a movie, and we'll kind of discuss the philosophy behind it. Um, and we'll talk about what we think about it. Uh, we'll go back and forth a little bit on each of those and just uh, just get into some of the philosophical aspects of movies. And, and so we're going to do this segment today. Uh, Rob, do you want me to go first and bring one up or do you want to go? Sure. First? Go ahead. Right. I will go first. Uh, so the one I'm starting off with, this is something I've been thinking about. Not that I've even seen the movie recently, but I was thinking about this scene and how much I really, really like it because of where they went with it philosophically. And it's not maybe one that you might expect, but it's uh, The Hunger Games, The Mockingjay Part 2. And there is some interesting philosophy, especially towards the end of this. Uh, now, this will be a spoiler. I mean, this movie's been out for a long time, so I don't feel that bad about it. But this is your spoiler warning. I'm going to talk about something that happens near the end of this movie. So if you have not seen it and, and want to move on, you know, so be it. <laughs> All right. So uh, the scene I want to specifically refer to is near the end of the movie. And... Uh, what's happened is they have conquered the capital, the, the rebel forces uh, behind Katniss Everdeen and, and the rogue elements are able to capture the capital, capture President Snow, and everyone's celebrating. It's the end of the regime. And um, President Coyne, who's from District 13, who has been kind of the leader of the resistance from from afar and uh, marches in the Capitol and all of the key figures uh, sit around a conference table. And this is all background to what I want to get to uh, sitting around a conference table, deciding what to do next. What do we do with the people we just conquered? 
they have been tormenting us and torturing us for generations. What do we do with them? Now that we're in charge, now that we have the power, what do we do with them? And President Coyne comes to the decision and, and uses it for everyone else and uses it to persuade everyone else that what they need to do is run a Hunger Games for the people that they captured. And this, uh, this, is, this is a disturbing turn of events. And it ultimately leads to Katniss Everdeen when she's so, supposed to be executing President Snow, instead firing an arrow straight to the heart of President Coyne. And that's the scene I want to discuss, that whole idea of what Katniss decided to do in that moment. And I think it's so, I think it's so fascinating from a philosophical standpoint and, and so, so rich. That whole like segment of that is so rich with, with philosophical meaning because this is, this is how people operate. This is one of the things that happens to people. When you've been a victim of something, when, when bad things have happened to you, uh, what tends to happen to you is you can go down one of two roads, as you can go down the road of being resentful, bitter, envious, or you can go down the road of forgiveness, moving on, making things better. And it's, it's fascinating how often people go down the road of revenge and anger and bitterness. It's like, you, we had this turned on us. Now it's time. Now that we have control, we're going to turn around and turn everything and dump everything on you. And it's a perpetual cycle that goes over. We see this throughout history. This is something that happens constantly throughout history. And, and so they, what this movie does is it actually brings that idea to the forefront. Now that you have conquered, now that you're in charge, what do you do with it? How do you use the power? Uh, so many movies, so, and what's interesting about it, so many movies stop at the place where they achieve initial victory. You know, that's, that's pretty common. They stop and they achieve initial victory. And it's like, yes, we won, conquered, but what happens afterwards? And that's what I, what I love about this. It goes into what happens afterwards. And there's always that temptation. What do you do afterwards now that you've conquered? And we've seen this throughout history. Like post-World War I, uh, the Allies basically punished Germany, chose to punish Germany. And that set up huge amounts of resentment going forward. And then you contrast that with, for instance, like post-Civil War or post-World War II, when they basically went and rebuilt, rebuilt Germany, rebuilt Japan, rebuilt the South after the Civil War um, to try. And now it wasn't perfect. And then the whole, I mean, that you get into a lot of history there, but, um, but that was, that was the kind of idea is how do you handle it after you're in charge? I think this movie does a fantastic job of displaying the temptation of coming in and using that power for revenge and vengeance and, and, and bitterness. And the way they chose Katniss Everdeen to go and just take that out, interrupt that. And you see that turning of events where this, this person that's mocked her and has been the bane of her existence, Snow versus coin and at that moment who is the bigger threat and and to, to see her shoot the arrow into president coin 
uh, it's just a, was a fascinating turn of events for the movie. And I love what they did philosophically there and bringing that to the attention. What, do, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely see this as a major theme through a lot of film. And I was just thinking of a couple other examples as you were mm -hmm. talking about. First of all, <clears throat> on a broad scale, I think that intrinsically we as human beings want to have power. And when we are powerless and then suddenly gain power, I think it is incredibly difficult to resist the urge to misuse yes. that power. Um, as you were as you were talking, I was just thinking of another example from a movie, and it's on a much smaller scale, but um, probably even more dramatic and disturbing in how they use the power that they've acquired. And I thought of the girl with the dragon tattoo. Mm. because when Lisbeth is taken advantage of, it scars her for the rest of her life. And then when she has an opportunity to take that out on someone she knows is hurting people, she doesn't hold back Yes, <laughs> on what she does to that person. Yeah. Um, and I think it is down to that, that she wants to exact uh, a piece of revenge on someone who is representative of what had happened to her mm -hmm. because yeah. um, I guess in her mind, she takes, takes that one person off the board in that way, then it frees her from some of her past and helps her to protect other people mm -hmm. as well. I think that's another part of the motivation behind it. And certainly motivation behind Katniss's actions. It's not, that she was doing it just to protect herself, but she was doing it to be a safeguard to the other people around her who were part of this yeah. whole movement, people that she was associated with and cared about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that idea that she recognized that at that moment, the chief danger was actually coin and not snow and that the direction that they were headed was completely the wrong direction. I, it, it, it also sparks for me like another conversation that takes place in, in The Dark Knight, actually. It's when uh, Harvey Dent and, and Bruce Wayne and their, their girlfriends are sitting there at the table and they're talking about, uh, they're talking about history and they're talking about Caesar and how, you know, it was, it was asked them to... Uh, basically to step into the gap when there was a big emergency and, and take and take over. And then they come back with, yeah, but the last, the last person who they gave that emergency power to was Caesar and never get back. <laughs> and it's like, okay, all right. So you either die a hero or live long enough to watch yourself become the villain. So there's that understanding that if, if it doesn't go the right way, if you, if you abuse your power, if you come in, but it's so tempting. And that's what, what's so good about it. It's so tempting to, to use when something bad happens to you to go down the road of, of bitterness and revenge and, and how that actually just continues perpetuating the cycle of making things worse. And that's what I think the Hunger Games did a great job about. Any other thing to say on that? Not really, but mine's like my my. I initially didn't see it necessarily being 
tied closely to yours, but the fact you just used that quote ties what you're talking about directly into mine. All right, let's do it. Which um, I was just thinking about the struggle that we see often in movies, um, maybe more in dramas and some other movies because there's more of an opportunity to play it out. Um, but the struggle that you see in characters uh, where they fight against becoming the thing that they always hated. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like you just said, the Dark Knight is a good example of that, and that quote is the perfect example of it. And I was gonna quote that myself until you did. Uh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we didn't talk about this beforehand, so this is completely off the cuff. But um, one one I was thinking of as a broad example would be Star Wars, hmm. because I think that Luke struggles with this his entire storyline in star wars yeah and as much hate as the new movies got for how they handled luke to me i didn't view it with as much hate because i always saw luke as a very conflicted person emotionally Hmm. and to me it it made sense how he acted because i always thought he was kind of irrational and emotional and my friends are in trouble. I'm going to go save mm-hmm. them and maybe die, but whatever. I'm just going to go do it. Um, so I think that in, in the new movies, he's trying to protect Ben from becoming that because in some ways he couldn't stop himself from becoming the thing that he didn't want to become. He didn't want someone else to become the thing that he didn't want to become. Mm-hmm. And I understand a lot of people really did not like how that went or was written or how they approached that. But to me, because of how I'm explaining it now to me, that's why it made sense to me. Hmm. Because I think he was always battling against becoming what he didn't want to become. Um, what What are your thoughts on that? I know I've never really talked to you about my theory around how he was written in the new movies. See, it's interesting to me. I think if if we were just going after after, let's say, um, uh, the Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. I think that makes them that thread makes a much better, better thing. What I think you see in where I think the disconnect is, is in return of the Jedi, you see a Luke that's much more emotionally balanced. It's much more wise. That's much more this who seemingly transcended that. Mm-hmm. And had they spent significant amounts of time in the new movies building in the backstory of how that that old enemy came back in his mind and and collapsed. If they just spent more time mm-hmm. developing that, then it would have made total sense. The problem is they didn't. Like yeah. You got a few hints, you had a few clips, and what you ended up was mostly just a whiny. Yeah. A whiny. I, I think for me it might be that first of all, Empire is my favorite Star Wars movie. So yeah. that's how I think of uh-huh. him. I think like, there's a direct thread from M- yeah. from, from the first two yeah. movies to that character. The problem is it has to leap over what you yeah. see as character development, Return of the Jedi. I think, like for me, I probably just like in, in my own head canon or whatever, I fill in those blanks. Yeah, because of how I see his character in mm-hmm. my mind, it makes sense to me that those things happen. Like instead of seeing it explicitly written yeah. out for me or shown to me, you know. Yeah. So, but I understand why some people, and apparently, majority of people, couldn't make that leap, or it didn't make sense to them. 
Yeah, there's a narrative path there for sure to get there. Uh, but it's true that is that is one of the that is one of the classic classic danger and classic storylines of when you face a specific challenge or when you have something that you really hate. How do you not end up becoming that? I remember having a conversation with a you know when I was teaching teens and and the one the one teenager came out um, came from a broken home and they were they were just like they were asking these questions and, and, and they said, you know, I don't want my family to end up like the family I came from. And she was dating someone and, and they said, but I heard from the parents that like, if you date, if you're with somebody who comes from this type of home, it's more likely that it's going to happen. And I said, basically what I, what I said to him is said, those, those tend to be the two options. Either you take what you didn't like and you make sure it doesn't happen or you don't analyze what happened and why, and you end up falling into the same traps. Like mm -hmm. it usually does go one of the two ways, but it doesn't have to go one way or the other, but that's the battle. That's the internal battle, internal struggle is how do we, do we, do we take the time and the journey to understand what's going on in, uh, in us and where the darkness is in us uh, and to understand that and deal with it if we don't, then we end up becoming the thing we most hated. And so um, yeah. one example that really jumps out to me, and uh, this would involve major spoilers. So if you want to watch the movie, I can wait and, <laughs> and not say anything about it. <laughs> but Nightmare Alley is this story, mm. like from start to finish. Mm -hmm. It's this story of becoming what you hate. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess I won't get too specific because I want people to be able to see the movie. Uh, but Bradley Cooper's character throughout the entire movie is kind of on this. He's on like this meteoric rise trajectory wise. And then all of a sudden it's like it all snaps and he goes crashing down. But I think throughout the whole thing, he's headed towards where he ends up. Mm -hmm. but he's not and you just brought this up he's not self-aware enough to understand yeah that that's where he's going and so it happens little by little by little and then at the end of the movie he's at this point and going back and i've seen the movie a few times now watching it through you're like oh yeah like he was always going to end up here but he didn't realize that because he's his personal motivations outweighed the reality of what was happening around him. Mm -hmm. If that I mean, makes any sense. Yeah. And fear you don't deal with leads, leads to often leads to those type of outcomes. Mm. Fear that you don't deal with. And that's because then it, it tends to be self-perpetuating. And mm -hmm. actually that do dovetails into something that's on my watch list, but we can, we can get that in a moment. Yeah, I think you can get you can get stuck in. Uh, we call it the tyranny of the present. Mm -hmm. You know, where you are victim to whatever is going on in the moment, yeah. and not having the ability to look either into your past to see what has happened before this has happened, or into the future to see what will happen if you continue down that road. Yeah. When if you actually took some time to think about it process it and address it the entire world could change for you yeah 
Yeah. Yes. Um, it's very good. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that will be that will be a segment we bring out every uh, every few episodes or something, because there's lots of deep philosophy involved in movies. And that's one of the funnest aspect of of watching movies and examining them. So you will see this segment come back. All right. Let's move on to the watch list. Movies that we've watched over the past week and uh, what we thought about them. So, Rob, what would you watch? Uh, let's see. I watched Encanto in the movie theater. Okay. Uh, with my kids because it was re-released and uh, we didn't actually see it in the theater when it first came out so it was fun to see it on the big screen they love the music um, obviously they're all singing along to we don't talk about Bruno <laughs> <laughs> as we talked about in a previous episode mm-hmm. um, and I think I've come to appreciate uh, the music and the movie as a whole more the few times I've seen it a few times now with having little kids and I think I like it a little more each time. I don't think it's top of my Disney list, but it's it's a solid movie. Nice. And I watched uh, Eternals again this week. Okay. Um, and that's on Disney Plus now since it's a Marvel movie. Uh, this movie is very interesting to me because it's like all brand new characters and trying to tell the story. And there's a whole lot. And there's it's a long movie too, because there's a big story to tell. So I'm interested in seeing what they do with the characters going forward, because I, in my opinion, what they do with the characters that they utilize from this going forward will kind of give you more of a feeling of how you feel about the original movie. And I kind of, I, I say that because I think that's what happened with the original Marvel Cinematic Universe, like Iron Man by itself was a good movie, but based on everything that Tony Stark's character did in the following movies, it kind of gives you a different perspective on where he was in that first movie. Yeah. Because you have more of an understanding of what happened. Yeah. And I think, I think we'll have the same when it comes to the characters from Shang-Chi and the characters from the Eternals and all these other things that they're working on. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, as I said earlier, getting to the theaters has been hard, but I've been able to watch some other stuff. Uh, so last night, my wife and I watched Age of Adeline again. It is one of our favorites. And there's just there's so many there's so many fun details. And it was just so well acted. And uh, especially the character of Adeline Blake Lively, as we've talked about a number of times in this podcast, how she is a very underrated actress and very, very good. But in this movie, she essentially, for most of the movie, she plays a woman who is in a 29-year-old's body who is actually 107 because she doesn't age. And uh, so that juxtaposition of having an old soul in a young body and having to act that is very, very different. It's, it's a very, very subtle acting job that Blake Lively does because it's not... If, it's not big and obvious. It's it's in the way she talks. It's in the mannerisms. It's in the flow of speech, um, the words she uses, uh, the way she handles and carries herself around. Uh, it's it's a really really subtle job of acting to play that type of a role, and and she does a fantastic job of it. And 
and the costume, uh, the costumer for the movie did a did a great job too, because she wears clothes that fit but are slightly out of time, that are slightly old school. Like they're mm-hmm. not unfashionable, they're not out of fashion, but there's they still hint at reminiscent of an older time, and that's that's a difficult balance to achieve as well. Um, and so it's just a really, it's a really interesting movie. Uh, so I, I like it and I recommend that one if you're looking for a good date night movie. Uh, and I saw The King's Man. I finally got around to seeing The mm-hmm. King's Man. It's uh, out on a couple of- I watched streams. that again this week too. So. They do. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just like you were talking about, of, of and this was in an individual, how an individual, uh, they're basically, this is a movie about a dad whose fear- ends up creating exactly what he's afraid of because he doesn't mm-hmm. deal. So it's a story about uh, Rafe finds uh, has his, his wife gets killed on a, on a, in a mission, a, like a, a helping rescue mission type thing. And from that point on, he basically shelters his son to try and keep him safe. And there's a point at which um, one of the characters says to him, like, it's amazing how often the things you fear actually end up becoming what happens if you don't deal with it. Basically, I, I'm paraphrasing here, mm-hmm. but that's basically what they tell him earlier in the movie. And so he's so afraid of everything that's going to happen to his son that he shelters his son and doesn't let his son go. And uh, like this is this taking place during the time of World War One, uh, as World War One is breaking out, and he's trying to keep his son from joining the military. And to keep him safe and he he so shelters him that it basically forces his son to run off and join the military and then get killed in the front lines uh but as a result like they join like he is in the background right finds this, has formed this kingsman uh spy agency so it's kind of like the origin story of of this what's now a trilogy of movies about the kingsman uh but i really liked it i thought i thought this one was better than i was anticipating it being um, I said there were some there were some good character elements and good good moments. Uh, I thought some of the world the World War One intrigue was really fun to bring into that. Um, it didn't go as heavy on the just over the top violence that the first mm-hmm. ones did, and that were, that kind of were the signature of those. But I thought that was good, and I thought that was well done. It was much more. Uh, it was much more just in balance and not uh, and not overly overly crazy. What do you think? Uh, I thought it was a really good movie until the last twenty minutes. Okay, because <laughs> I didn't I didn't really buy how uh, the villain who the villain turned out to be. Mm-hmm. Just because if that character spoiler if that character is going to be like the right hand man to this other person i i just found it really hard to believe he would have the ability to go back and forth yeah so often as was portrayed in the movie this is true and especially the scene where the boat blows up i was like how does that work (laughs) did he have like a motorboat to get over to that submarine or yeah yeah you're right on that because i hadn't thought about that too deeply uh I watched this last night, but yeah, you were absolutely right on that. That is a, uh, that is a weakness of the movie for sure. I mean, I, I thought overall it was a pretty good movie. I thought the character of Rasputin was kind of hilarious. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, disturbing. 
very disturbing. And when I saw it in the theater, the theater we were in, me and my friend Keith, uh, there was a girl sitting a couple rows in front of us, and every like inappropriate thing Rasputin did, she went ah, like. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like have you ever seen someone do something inappropriate because it's not that funny but <laughs> oh yeah yeah there were some strong characters but you're right and like especially when they built so much around not revealing who that character was mm-hmm. throughout the entire movie and then it's like that guy and you're like okay yeah it felt like they were setting out to be like this big reveal of like this major like even maybe just like like a major actor that we weren't expecting to be in the movie or something. Yeah. And it's just like it's this guy. And you're like, oh, because they made such a point of not telling you who he was. Yeah. And then and then it's just like it's wonder if they did that and then they're like, well, what characters do we have in the movie? Oh, we don't really have any characters in the movie that this really could be. Oh, we'll just yeah. make it this guy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It it did seem a bit lazy to me. Yeah. That part of it, which kind of because they hadn't even built up his good character they hadn't even yeah. built up that character that much yeah but it was like a, a huge betrayal or a huge shocker mm-hmm. and yeah mm-hmm. okay so that's the kingsman uh i recommend you go see it it's worth watching uh anything else rob uh, i don't believe so all right well that is the show thank you for checking out film for fans and uh, make sure you visit filmforfans.com we've got lots of other content for you and like subscribe tell your friends all that good stuff until next time enjoy the movies